This episode is brought to you by Hippo Manager. Hippo Manager is a cloud-based veterinary practice management software that saves you time and integrates with your favorite tools. Visit hippomanager.com to sign up for a demo and get a free trial. To be a student in that first class is, I, I quite honestly, bragging rights for that student. You know, they were part of the first class at Texas Tech University, a school of veterinary medicine. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. The idea of founding a second veterinary school in Texas originated in the 1970s. It took 50 years for this vision to come to fruition. But after securing funds from the Texas legislature during the 86th legislative session in 2019, Texas Tech University broke ground later that year in September and started building the highly anticipated School of Veterinary Medicine. In December 2019, the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board gave degree approval to Texas Tech University's proposal. And in September of this year, the American Veterinary Medical Association Council on Education, which is the accreditor of veterinary medical programs, granted the school a letter of reasonable assurance of accreditation. This means the school can officially accept veterinary student applications. All of these steps were necessary in order for the school to welcome its first class in the fall of 2021. Opening this school is a milestone for veterinary medicine in the state of Texas. For more than 100 years, Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine and College Station has been the one and only vet school in Texas. So why open a second veterinary school? Our guest today, Dean Guy Lonergan, explains why and how it will benefit the profession and Texas. He also talks about the importance of partnering with Texas A&M and TVMA in years to come. But before he discusses the new school, I wanted to get to know him a bit better and learn how he ended up becoming the dean of the second veterinary school in Texas. Well, his story begins in a whole other continent, Australia. Here he is. Yeah, I grew up in a small rural town in southeast Australia, a town called Mudgee. It was about four hours drive northwest of Sydney. It's a beautiful part of the world, rolling hills, uh, cattle, sheep, wine country. Uh, it was spectacular. And uh, my family had lived in Mudgee for generations, and we had a, a large family ranching operation. And that really was my formative years was growing up in that rural community, uh, playing sport in that rural community, going to school there, but also working with my father, who was a veterinarian uh, on that livestock operation too. Okay, yeah, and I know that your father was a really big influence on your life and career. So tell me a little bit more about that when you knew you wanted to be a veterinarian and your father's influence on that. Yeah, my father was a very entrepreneurial person. He took embryo transfer out to Australia with a small group of other veterinarians in the early 70s. And uh, he, that 
that stage, it was all done on cattle on ventral midline surgery. So cattle were under general anesthesia and uh, surgery to both harvest the embryos, but also to implant the embryos into recipients. And I remember as a young child being placed to stand on a stool and then to put a gown on and cap and help him in surgery. And, you know, that was really fun. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with the cattle. I enjoyed the surgical aspect. And I enjoyed him trying new things and, and uh, being successful at those new things and being able to watch that. And that was very formative for me. But my whole family was very influential to me. My grandfather, uh, was also very entrepreneurial. He was a squadron leader in the Second World War, uh, but he was also very much a business entrepreneur. And he wouldn't take no for an answer, so he would always find a way to make things happen. And that growing up in that family, in my family, was very formative. And ultimately, towards the end of high school, I sort of put two and two together and thought oh, I really enjoyed working with animals and particularly livestock. And I enjoyed working with my father in his veterinary uh, practice at that time, which was primarily livestock and reproductive embryo transfer. And so right at the end of high school was when I really thought, well, I make a go of this and try and become a veterinarian. And is the education system different at all in Australia than in the US? Yeah, in Australia, we follow more of the UK system, which is a veterinary program straight out of high school. And it's a, at that time, it was a five-year program. And there was one program in the state that I grew up in, New South Wales, and that was at the University of Sydney, uh, same program that my father had gone to. And so I ended up going there and completing my veterinary degree, which was a five-year program straight out of high school. Uh, it's changed now. So there's multiple uh, veterinary schools across Australia. Uh, several states have one. A couple of states now have two veterinary programs. The University of Sydney has moved to more of a US-style four-year DVM program. Uh, but there are now there's now a second program in New South Wales, which is a six-year program straight out of high school. So we have the traditional five-year programs, a new six-year program and a more US-style four-year DVM program in Australia. So there's, there's lots of different program styles in Australia. You know, what's interesting is I feel like when a lot of people go to college, at least maybe like in liberal arts, they're like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And then they have the opportunity to switch majors. Like, I know I did that. Um, and that's so interesting in high school when you're like, okay, this is what I want to do. Do you know anyone who was like, I want to be a veterinarian, and then they get there, this is like a five-year program, and they're like, oh, this isn't for me. Yeah, I, I think people do that, but veterinary medicine is such a diverse field, and yeah. the training opens up so many doors. If you look at veterinarians now in the profession in the U.S., you have practice owners who have started to build corporations. You have veterinarians as we know them as private practitioners. But then I am an example of someone who left the private practice world and got into academia. Some people get into basic research. So 
uh, veterinary profession is really a training that opens the door to so many diverse animal health, entrepreneurial business and public health opportunities for people to get involved in as well. Yeah. So tell me about your career path. Um, what did you do right after veterinary school? I uh, knew that I wanted to specialize in cattle medicine and surgery. And you know, I didn't really know what that meant at that time, but I just, you know, I wanted to specialize. And several of my professors at the University of Sydney were good friends with professors in the US. Many Australians have come to the US to do residencies and so forth. And so they put me in contact with a number of professors, including one at Colorado State University. And so in my final year, I contacted that person. And, you know, at that stage, it was you write a letter, you put a stamp on the envelope, you make sure you have enough postage to send it international and you put it in the mail and then you wait. And so <laughs> I waited several weeks and got a reply and that led to an internship. And okay. so for six months in between graduating and the start of that internship, I did some temporary work and, and locum work as we would call it. And then came to the US and started an internship. And I learned something um, surprising about myself, but maybe not so surprising, is that individual animal medicine and surgery was not for me. I thought it was, but I, I just, it just didn't gel with me. I didn't like the ambiguity of the diagnoses. I was much more mathematically oriented. And so that led then, instead of thinking about why is this animal sick today in front of me and what do I do with it, led to more of thinking about disease in populations. Mm -hmm. So why is this disease more common in this population of animals relative to the next? And uh, that pulled me away from my intended career path into a very unintended career path of research and academia and that thinking of disease in populations is really production animal medicine and epidemiology. And so I, I then dived into graduate training at Colorado State University uh, with that same initial advisor on my committees, but it took me in a very, very different career path. And after graduating with my PhD, I was looking at two positions, one uh, back in Australia, and one at West Texas A&M University in Canyon. And ultimately the one in Canyon was just very appealing to me, the opportunity to work in the, uh, basically the center of uh, livestock production in the US uh, really appealed to me. So I, I went that route, uh, worked at West Texas A&M for almost nine years and then moved to Texas Tech in 2010. Okay, and tell me, what did you get your PhD in? My PhD was in epidemiology, and that really focused on two areas. One was diseases in populations of cattle. Uh, I was particularly interested in uh, a type of, of neurological disease, polioencephalomalacia, uh, as well as understanding a somewhat unique aspect of respiratory disease in feedlot cattle called acute interstitial pneumonia. And so I, I spent good bit of my master's and PhD looking at that. But also I started to branch more into public health. So thinking about E. coli 0157, uh, a bacteria that can cause quite severe disease in people, but 
can be hosted by cattle, also salmonella and separately to that antimicrobial use and resistance. And so I was really juggling the two worlds of looking at diseases in livestock and trying to find out a little bit more information about them to share with the profession, but also more and more into public health and livestock. Got it. Okay. So do you have any stories that sum up your appreciation for this work um, over the past 20 years? Yeah, I, I think one thing that really struck me was uh, when I was at Colorado State University, there were some amazing professors there. And I, I look back at my classes and I thought, wow, that, that's fantastic. I got to know some of the faculty there that were just incredible. And I do remember one lecture where one of the faculty members uh, came in and told the story of his one of his sons contracting E. coli 0157. And that really hit me hard because I grew up around cattle. Cattle were, you know, a production animal, but how could cattle carry something that could make someone so sick? And that really, um, really changed the, my thinking. Um, you know, it amazed me, but also created a certain amount of curiosity in me. So that, that, just that one lecture and turning up to that one lecture, if I had been um, lazy and not turned up, I would have missed that discussion. But just turning up to that one le lecture changed the course of my career into thinking about livestock and public health. And, you know, it's those rare interactions of being there and listening to people that really opened the door to new ideas and, and new thoughts and new career opportunities. I left vet school and the last thing I wanted to do in the world, and I was actually quite purposefully insistent on that, was that I would not end up in academia. I was gonna end up in private practice and uh, be this uh, gung-ho veterinarian who uh, was uh, uh, doing amazing medicine and surgery, but you know, ultimately those discussions, the curiosity, the opportunities and being maybe a little bit open-minded um, to what works for me and what doesn't work for me led me into this path now that I'm in academia. So what happened to that son? I recovered fine, all good, but it was just an amazing story that this bacteria from livestock made this person so incredibly sick. Um, the person recovered, great, right? That's fantastic. But at that stage, it just was like, wow, I just couldn't imagine that this bacteria, that a happy, healthy cattle um, or happy, healthy cattle could carry could make people so sick. And, you know, it, thankfully, that's very rare. And uh, we understand it a lot more now. And the beef industry has taken amazing steps to control that organism. Um, but that really opened the door to me to a new line of thinking that has influenced my research program for two decades. So have you had any like very personal relationships with a cow like that you, I mean, when I think of some cows, I think of like their eyelashes and their eyes can be kind of beautiful. Have you ever felt that way? Uh, I, I, I find cattle very relaxing. So there's, um, in the evening when the sun's setting, 
there's nothing quite like the sound of cattle just very calmly walking around munching on grass. I, to me, that is very relaxing. And so I enjoy cattle. I, um, it, you know, people feel comfortable around different animals. Some people love cats. Some people love horses. You know, yeah. I just feel more comfortable around livestock for a variety of reasons. Um, and, you know, but they're production animals. They're also food animals, but they're also uh, wonderful to be around too. Mm-hmm. And so when you went to West Texas A&M University, or I wonder if you have also this experience at Colorado State, did you notice any difference in rural um, veterinary medicine there than in Australia? Uh, there, there's some differences, sure, but there's amazing similarities. Australia, Canada, US, are big expansive countries where the majority of people live in large urban areas and you have open rural areas. And um, there are commonalities in smaller and regional rural communities that are so strong and shared so widely amongst those very different countries. And so, yeah, sure, there are differences between uh, communities in West Texas and communities in central western New South Wales, but boy, there's a lot of similarities too. Yeah. So let's talk about the second veterinary school in Texas, Texas Tech University. And um, so it was created in 2018. The first class is going to start in the fall of 2021. Why do you think there was a need to open a second veterinary school? Well, I think to really understand that need, you need to we need to dive into the history of this a little bit. So, it, really, the discussion of a second veterinary school in Texas began in the 60s when the School of Medicine was created at Texas Tech University by the state legislature. Uh, You go back and read the story of its creation. There's a fantastic book called The Eye of the Storm. But in that Eye of the Storm, there are some pictures of the master plan of the School of Medicine, and it included a School of Veterinary Medicine. And it was driven around that time. There was an, uh, an article that it was driven around the growth of the livestock industry in West Texas, and particularly in the Texas Panhandle. Um, just to the north of Lubbock, of the need for veterinarians to support the livestock industry. And so that was recognised at that time, the growth in Texas. And it was, at 1971, it was actually approved by the state regulatory body that governs higher education. Now that's called the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board. Uh, but it was approved, but just never funded. And so this has cycled on and off every decade of an interest in uh, a second vet school in Texas. And really, if you look at why veterinary medicine exists here in Texas, uh, the founding dean of Texas A&M, Mark Francis, uh, he came to Texas to help control diseases of livestock. So veterinary medicine originally was driven around the needs for control of disease in uh, livestock production animals. Uh, also the equine industry, particularly important in, say, the First World War and the cavalry. Mm. But it was really driven around those needs. And so that was evident in the 60s and early 70s. But certainly 
that it has been on and off over the years. And there's quite a few veterinarians who started their undergrad at Texas Tech thinking that Texas Tech would have a vet school in the near future. And there are uh, quite a few people that you bump into that started their training at Texas Tech in the 70s and then the 80s. And so it, it, it's very interesting. Um, but ultimately, the, the need for the second vet school, that the more recent development, was that we just had a mismatch. We had a growing Texas population. We have 30 million people in Texas. We have growing demand for veterinarians. Uh, we have full employment essentially for veterinarians in Texas. And we have growing educational demand. But we had a very limited educational opportunity here in Texas. So we have all this demand for the workforce, all this demand for education, and just limited production system, if you will. And so that what that meant was more and more Texans were going out of state for their education. And so as we were asked to put together the, the need by the state legislature, it really was driven around demonstrating that we have uh, all these students who would make wonderful veterinarians who would fill this workforce demand, but there was no mechanism for them to be able to go to veterinary school in Texas beyond a very limited production system at Texas A&M. Texas A&M is one of the world's best vet schools for many, many good reasons. It's just that Texas outgrew it. Yeah. And Texas A&M is growing, but Texas is a huge state. We need 700 or so new veterinarians every year just to meet the demand. And we have all of these students who are willing to meet that demand, but have to go out of state. And the challenge with that is that going out of state is extremely expensive. So we have these Texans going out of state, investing in the research enterprises of other states or other countries, mm -hmm. and then coming back in with a tremendous amount of debt. And so the legislature ultimately saw that they could correct some of that by expanding the educational programs in Texas. And so that really led to them funding Texas Tech, uh, you know, really after five decades almost, to establish a second vet school and really to think about access and affordability for Texans to kind of align that production link between educational demand and workforce demand. Wow. I mean, 50 years, that's such a long time. Why do you think it took so long? I, it, it's... Uh, uh, veterinary medicine uh, and training vet veterinarians is an expensive undertaking. And I think what it really took was a demonstration of a need that was sufficient um, to for the state legislature to respond. And it, it was at the right time and the right place to do that. So um, I don't know why it took 50 years, but it did. But when we went to the legislature in the last session and we were able to demonstrate the educational demand, the cost of going out of state that so many students were now doing or being forced to do and the workforce demand, it became an easier decision for legislators to get behind this. And um, so they did and we're going. So next year we will celebrate the first class. Mm -hmm. uh, ironically, that was 
Um, had it been funded 50 years ago, we'd be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the vet school, but now we'll get to celebrate the first class. Yeah. And you know, really, when you think about it, the first class is very special because you only ever have one first class. And to be a student in that first class is, I, I quite honestly, bragging rights for that student. You know, they were part of the first class at Texas Tech University a school of veterinary medicine. Uh, they, we are building some of the most amazing state-of-the-art buildings to go hand in hand with our curriculum. But those students will have run of the run of the building. So we'll have roughly 260,000 square feet that those students won't have to compete with any other students for. Uh, those students won't have to get in line behind second year students or third year students to get to the faculty and staff. So they'll have the run of the faculty and staff too. So yeah. it, it really is a special opportunity for that first class. But then also we're continuing to grow. So we're gonna put a lot of responsibilities on those students in that we're gonna view them as partners in our continued growth. We will have some rough edges and we expect that first class to be a little bit more pioneering, to show a little bit more of that West Texas grit and to be problem solvers so they can help us and partner with us as we continue to grow the program and make it better for future students. So uh, yeah, next year we're really excited to welcome that first class. Orientation begins on the 9th of August and we start teaching on the 16th of August next year. I just think of four children and the oldest child, they get to do things first and then they kind of set an example and I think it'll be interesting to see how the second class, third class, kind of like the middle child, like looks at what the first class does. Um, that's kind of what it makes me think of a little bit. Yeah, that first class is going to set the honor code. They're going to start framing the traditions. They're going to start setting the pathway that those subsequent classes will follow. You know, yeah. Future classes get to refine it, but they don't get to build it. And that first class gets to build it and set the path for the future. And so that's a very uh, exciting opportunity for us as a, as a faculty and staff team, but also a very exciting opportunity for that first class. And I do want to mention that this was a controversial topic for a little bit. Did you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, I, I think it was controversial in a way that just required a lot of discussion. Any new project of this scale and scope ought to require a lot of discussion, and it did. So we spent a lot of time in meetings with different people and, and legislators and, and the Texas Veterinary Medical Association and practitioners just to try and outline why we're doing what we're doing what we're going to do, how we're not replicating what is already being done, and how we will do it in a way that stays true to our mission, is cost effective for the state, for the university and the student, and in a way that we look for an opportunity to you know, collaborate with Texas A&M. And so controversy may be the right term, but it's also the wrong term. I think it is a combination of people 
asking hard questions because they should ask hard questions of why do we want as a state and as a profession and as a university and, and, and then the future students invest in a new program and a program that is an expensive program. Program Training veterinary students is not an inexpensive undertaking, uh, but once we're able to have those discussions, and some of those discussions over happened over a number of years, I think you started to see that people got the understanding that this was important. Uh, the Texas Veterinary Medical Association uh, last in February 2019 passed a resolution that supported both what Texas A&M was doing and our proposed veterinary school. And that was a milestone moment because in 1971, the Texas Veterinary Medical Association opposed what we were trying to do. But now when we're able to demonstrate what the need had become, what the consequences of not meeting that need have become for students and graduates and those students who want to be veterinarians who just look at the financial cost of going out of state and they are lost to the profession and so they got behind it and, and supported us and supported Texas A&M as we're very supportive of what they're trying to do and so there were hard discussions but they were hard discussions that should have been had and we had them and uh, it came out very uh, well in the end. And I think you see that uh, partly of that resolution, but also in the way the legislature funded uh, us in terms of the startup request that we had and the governor then signed that appropriations bill with our funding included. So um, those discussions, as I said, were hard, but they were good discussions and they were discussions that should have been had. Yeah, and you know, after TVMA passed that resolution, I know that doctors Rick Wall, who um, was the president at the time, and Stephen Gola, they attended the groundbreaking ceremony. Which you know, that's a big step. You know, actions, um, you know, speak louder than words. So, what did that mean to you and the Texas Tech Vet School? Uh, it was just. Um... It was very, very important. That groundbreaking ceremony was so much more than groundbreaking because that was after the legislature had appropriated the money, the governor had signed off. And so at that stage, you know, we had been charged to go full steam ahead. There was language in the appropriation bill that said, use this money to do what you need to do to get accreditation. Build the program, get ready to open, in other words. And so our mayor, uh, Mayor Ginger Nelson of Amarillo said it best when she said, it's important to stop and celebrate achieving important milestones. Mm -hmm. So we use that groundbreaking ceremony as an opportunity for a celebration of achieving a monumental milestone. And so we had roughly five or 600 people turn up to the groundbreaking, which was just an amazing event. And to have uh, doctors Gola and Wall there was fantastic. We had the president of AVMA, John Howe there. We had the dean of Oklahoma State there, um, Dr. Carlos Risco. We had many other veterinarians, uh, board members from TVMA, uh, Kenan Sturgis and Tim Polk, but lots of other veterinarians from across the state. 
And it was just a wonderful celebration. But to see, have Rick and Steve and others there, you know, we were able to celebrate that arm in arm, so to speak. And I think it was as important for them as it was for me. So it was a wonderful experience. And, you know, these relationships begin as professional relationships and then they develop as personal friendships. And so it's been a very good experience for me. Uh, but having them there to celebrate that occasion was uh, very special to all of us. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about this episode's sponsor, Hippo Manager. Hippo Manager is a cloud-based veterinary practice management software that serves as the central nervous system for your clinic. It manages and integrates your data with your labs, pharmacy, client communication tools, and more. Hippo is easy to use and gives you flexibility so you can practice medicine your way. Perfect for mobile veterinarians, specialty practices, small animal clinics, corporate practices, and more. It's available at a one simple price, $119 per month per veterinarian. Visit hippomanager.com to sign up for a demo and free trial. Come see for yourself. So, I mean, this is so many years in the making. Was it emotional at all? Was there something kind of special in the air that people could feel? Yeah, I think there was. And, and we have great leadership in the university uh, from our chairman of the Board of Regents to our chancellor to the president of the university. Um, but we're also able to celebrate those who contributed so much who could no longer be there. Uh, we have lost a couple of very influential veterinarians along the way. Uh, and to see them represented there by their family was very, um, it, it was wonderful to see them there, but, you know, emotional as well, knowing that so many so people invested, but also people gave up their careers that, um, to make this happen. And our uh, former Chancellor Bob Duncan, who was the original driver of this, Senator Bob Duncan, he was there and our Chairman of the Board of Regents, uh, Mr. Chris Huckabee, gave a very touching tribute to uh, Senator Bob Duncan, Chancellor Bob Duncan, for his role and what he gave up to make this happen. And to be able to be there, you know, it, it was emotional, but it was inspiring at the same time. And it was a wonderful day of just so many different emotions. And to be part of a process where I get to work as a team player for so many visionary leaders who are willing to do the right thing for the right reason um, is, has just been a wonderful formative experience for me. So Drs. Wall and Gola attending the groundbreaking ceremony was very meaningful. Um, tell me about the working relationship with TVMA. Why do you think this partnership is important now and years to come? Well, I, TVMA is the organization for uh, veterinarians in Texas. It's a professional association and they advocate on behalf of the profession. And so they're really our profession's voice in the state. And we're trying to train future veterinarians who will be part of that association. TVMA is one of the largest, if not the largest, 
uh, organized veterinary medical associations in the US um, and they're very successful. But we also want to make sure that we are a good partner with the voice of the profession, knowing that we're going to producing graduates that we want to be good citizens within that profession. So it, it doesn't just make good sense. You know, we're obligated to really try and foster a good working relationship because ultimately they're the voice for all veterinarians in Texas, um, not just a subset of them. And so they uh, have developed into, we have developed a very strong working relationship um, and we want them involved in uh, meeting the class and welcoming them at orientation, but also frequently exposing our students to the benefits of what TVMA can offer them once they get out into the profession and the importance of being involved in organized veterinary medicine, particularly the TVMA. And speaking about, you know, um, partnerships, do you anticipate having any sort of a collaboration with Texas A&M University College of Veterinary Medicine? I know that, you know, um, Dean, John August, I would love to hear you two on a podcast together, given your accents. <laughs> I feel like people would love that. Yeah, no, I, uh, the, the short answer is absolutely. And I think the state, well, I know the state expects it of us, that we are two publicly supported schools of veterinary medicine, colleges of veterinary medicine in Texas. The, the state is investing in both of us. They expect us to collaborate. And I um, collaborate with faculty down there on a routine basis. We do research projects together. Um, and so I think extending that from a faculty to faculty collaboration to a school to college collaboration just makes so much sense. And um, Dr. August is fantastic. I've enjoyed my interactions with him very much. I think he's going to do a fantastic job down at uh, College Station. And I look forward to him implementing his priorities and us implementing our priorities and finding opportunities where we overlap to really do some good things together for the state of Texas, for the students um, and our faculty and staff. And I think we'll have lots of opportunities. Uh, the program that they're building at West Texas A&M uh, is a great step forward. When I was at West Texas A&M all those years ago, over a decade ago now, there were calls and calls and calls for uh, more involvement from College Station in the region and we're seeing that now. And I think that is just all good for the region. So um, this part of the world, Texas, is benefiting from both what Texas Tech is doing, but also what A&M is doing in the region too. And when I spoke with Dr. John August, at the time he was the interim dean and he was just so honored to have that opportunity. So for you, um, what does it mean to you to be the dean of the Texas Tech uh, Veterinary School? Um, like, you know, why did you decide to take on this role and what does it mean to you? Well, it, it's just a very humbling experience and it's a role that, you know, I mentioned earlier, I graduated from vet school and I had a purposeful intention not to go down this route and yeah. as a faculty member, administration are those people that screw things up. So. Um, as a faculty member, even, I didn't want to get into um, administration, but I, 
I was pulled into looking at how Texas Tech might participate in veterinary medical education and veterinary medical research in 2014. And then the, we hit a crossroads in 2015 for a variety of reasons. Um, after a year and a little bit of exploring three different models of veterinary education, we were ended up with basically one model that was viable going forward. And it was, a, I thought, a really good model. It was based on what um, University of Calgary uh, in Canada had pioneered, and they were doing it extremely successfully. Um, it's a, a, a AVMA accredited school. Um, they were, their reputation was growing, uh, and in particular, their reputation for producing graduates that were in demand was growing. And so that was the model, but we were at a crossroads. And our chancellor at the time, Bob Duncan, called a meeting uh, late in 2015. And at this meeting were all of these people that I had never met before. Um, President Ted Mitchell of the Health Sciences Center, um, former Speaker of the House, Pete Laney, and all these other people. And we got there and the discussion was, well, let's talk to Amarillo because they've been talking about a vet school in Amarillo for a long, long period of time. And um, the second in command, if you will, to then President Ted Mitchell, now Chancellor Ted Mitchell, Kendra Burris said, basically, Amarillo doesn't tolerate people doing things by halves. If we're gonna go and propose an idea to Amarillo, they're going to expect a comprehensive idea. They're not looking for a light idea, they're looking for a full idea. And her comment was, if we go to Amarillo, we have to go big or go home. You know, in other words, they're going to get behind something really good, something complete, something that addresses a need, but they won't get behind something done by halves. So we went to Amarillo and, and proposed this comprehensive school of veterinary medicine in 2015. And they said, sure, that sounds great. And so we announced it. But my intention at that time was that I would always hand the reins over to someone eminently more qualified than me to be <laughs> a dean. I was a faculty member. I, I, I had... Um, I was in a secondment, if you will, in administration on the research side. I was serving as the interim vice president for research. Um, and, but I continued my role, which was to continue the development of this program to the point it was ready to be handed over. Uh, but then sometime in late 2018, we got to the stage where we had to engage the national accreditors, the AVMA Council on Education. And they needed a point of contact and we were getting ready to have a consultative site visit. And we needed to have a dean. It could have been an interim dean, it could have been whatever. And so I said, well, we need to do something. And, um, but I've also learned things about myself in that I'm not good at working on something for years and years and then handing it off to someone else and being close to it. I have to hand it off and get away from it. Otherwise, I, I keep my fingers in the pie, so to speak, and <laughs> um, 
and and that's not good. So I, I talked to the provost and I said, here are the two options, right? Um, you find a person and then I'll step away from it and let that person take the reins and move forward or I can serve in the role for the time being. Okay. And um, I have a very good working relationship with the provost, um, Dr. Mike Galley, and I worked with him for years and years when we were both faculty members. Uh, and he and the president agreed that they would appoint me as the dean of the program. And again, it's quite humbling. I feel totally unqualified to be the dean. <laughs> I have not gone up through the ranks of department head and, and associate dean. So I, um, but it's a wonderful experience. And what makes it wonderful is the team of people that are so enthusiastic, either faculty and staff that we've been able to put together and you can't but experience the enthusiasm in the communities. If you're wearing a Texas Tech vet school vest or a hat and you go to the supermarket, like United Supermarkets here in Amarillo, and people say, what do you do with tech? And you tell them, they're like little cheerleaders. They start to get really excited. So the enthusiasm is palpable in the community and communities that we serve, but also in the team that we have put together um, and so despite me being totally unqualified to be the dean the team is totally qualified to build this program and get ready for the first class of students and what sets texas tech uh, veterinary school apart from other vet schools um, when we spoke before, the two words you said were access and affordability. So if you want to explore that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll get there in a second. But um, I think the easiest way to think about what makes us different is that we are the second veterinary school, second publicly supported veterinary school in Texas. When you're the first one, you're the only one, then you, know, you have an obligation to be something to everyone because the state is investing in you, you're the only one, you have to try and serve all the needs of the state. Yeah. Whereas the second, the third, the fourth, whatever medical school, whatever school it is, but the second one in our case, you don't have to try and replicate that. And to be quite honest, you shouldn't try and replicate that. So being the second school is very liberating in that you get to have a narrower focus. And so what really is different about us is that we have a very narrow mission that is has three primary areas. The first one is the need to support rural and regional communities. The second one is access and affordability. And the third one is how we think about supporting our livestock industries. But it all centers around that rural, rural and regional communities of Texas. And most schools have a focus on rural practice but it's only part of their focus. And you know, some schools could fail at that part of their focus and still be very successful because they've got a lot of other focus areas that they can be successful at. Whereas that's not part of our mission, that's our whole mission. So we have to be successful in that very narrow area. So that has led us to looking at schools of medicine, schools of veterinary medicine that have a similar mission and all of them have something in common, a very focused recruitment, admissions, curriculum, and experiential learning strategy, that four 
prong um, strategy of how you be successful at that mission. So our difference is really driven by our mission of rural and regional communities as our sole mission, okay. if you will. So we have a very different recruitment, a very different admissions. Uh, our curriculum is all driven around rural and regional medicine. And our experiential learning is all within the context of rural and regional communities. So it's a very different model. Uh, it's a very focused model on uh, a narrow mission area. But the other area that you mentioned, access and affordability, is very important. Uh, Texas is home to one of the best vet schools in the world, Texas A&M, and it is one of the most affordable programs in the country. Uh, but when you can't access that and you're forced to go out of state, you the average out-of-state tuition fees is now in excess of $53,000 a year. So when the state funded us as a second program, it was in part to provide more Texans access to a state-funded program. And that really talks about access and affordability. So we're trying very hard to live up to what the state expects of us, what Texas Tech's history has done, and you'll see that in our School of Medicine at the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, which was just ranked in the top 10% in the country in terms of schools of medicine, but was also ranked as the most affordable program in the country. Not in the top 10%, but the most affordable program. And so we're trying very hard to build access and affordability to world-class education for Texans so that now a Texas student who is interested in veterinary, has an interest in veterinary medicine has the opportunity to choose from two affordable programs. When I think about that imagery of, you know, being in a grocery store and someone seeing you wearing a vest or a hat, um, do you guys plan on having a big celebration on the first day? Like, I'm like, oh, could you guys have a parade or like something where you're inviting the community to it? Yeah, and, and if you look at what other schools do, most of them would have a, a sense of community day or an open house. And, yeah. and I think our opportunity to do that is going to be when we have our ribbon cutting for the new program. And that will likely be next fall sometime. Um, the, the timing of ribbon Ribbon cutting is somewhat ceremonial uh, and it's designed when people can get together and that's going to be discussions out of my hands. So to include people from the Board of Regents from the Chancellor's Office, President's Office and the Legislature. And so there'll be uh, likely sometime in the fall of 2021, we'll have a ribbon cutting and that'll be the opportunity to really welcome the community into the new building to be able to show off our uh, state-of-the-art teaching laboratories, the, um, all of the classrooms, all of the shared spaces, so that they can see, you know, essentially the next generation of facility and curriculum and how they're going to work hand-in-hand. Hand. But hopefully that becomes a pipeline recruiting tool that, you know, you get that first year, second year, third year um, child looking at this thinking this is something that excites them and and you know you, you get set on that career path early in life um, so hopefully this is a 
an opportunity as, as for us to have that open day to welcome the community so that they can see uh, that their investment in their, this program was a wise investment, but as an opportunity for us to really engage them. But the, the other aspect is that um, our program is different. We don't have our own teaching hospital. We're partnering with the great veterinarians of Texas, uh, all across Texas, to provide that clinical experience. And so in some respects, our practice partners that we're getting into agreements with, they become our front door to the community as well. So our students, when they start their clinical year rotations, they will be engaging with communities all across Texas. And that really is going to be, I think, the most important aspect, not just for the students' development, but for our reputation as those students engage with the communities of Texas. And when I spoke with you last week, you said, you know, you've already gotten about 300 um, applications. So when will future students at Texas Tech find out that they were admitted? Well, it's a great question. And our process right now is we have the application window open until a little after the middle of December. And then we do interviews in late January, early February, and we're going to send out offer letters um, to the first class in March of 2021. So that will be that there are two times that students get notified. One is that they're invited for an interview. And then from those students that come to interview, we'll then send out a, a select group of letters um, to those students that we want to be part of that first class. And you know, we'll be making lots of phone calls to them with that exciting news. I, I'm looking forward to that time. I guess that, you know, it's so encouraging that there's such an interest from students to be part of this program. Uh, on the downside is we can't welcome everyone into this program. We, we're going to start with about 60 students. Um, we're going to grow slowly to 100 students. So we'll, we'll start with 60 and then go to 80 and then go to 100. And that'll be our maximum class size. Um, but, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to reaching out to those 60 students and saying congratulations. We want you to be part of the pioneering class. We want you to partner with us to continue to build it. Yeah, that's got to be so exciting for a future uh, student at Texas Tech to get that call or, or letter. So to wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share with listeners about the vet school, you, TVMA, anything you'd like to share? The thing that I would leave is I just want you to know that we intend to be good partners. We intend to be a good partner for TVMA. We intend to be a good partner with Texas A&M with the communities, um, we maintain that sense of place. Um, we're not a school, we're not an island, so to speak. We're a school that is part of a wider community, that's part of a wider state. And we intend to maintain that sense of place. Um, it, it's a very humbling opportunity for us. And we have an amazing group of faculty. We've hired about two dozen faculty so far and staff, and they are either excited about starting a career at Texas Tech or they have left 
very productive, stable careers to come to be part of something new and dynamic and changing uh, because everyone wants that opportunity and we require them to do this of having their fingerprints on this program and the impact, the shape of this program so that in a decade's time, in two decades time, they can look at this program and they can see where their fingerprints are on the program. And that's really exciting for the faculty, but it's also exciting to be part of that and to see their enthusiasm to really put their creative minds into building something that's going to benefit the citizens of Texas for generations to come. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dean Lonergan. It was really great getting to know you and learn more about Texas Tech Vet School. I know I'm really excited um, to see what's to come. And uh, it's a really great time right now. Well, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to coming back with Dean John August at some stage. I'm sure he's going to tell you a story about me putting him up in an old rundown hotel in Amarillo by accident. But um, I'm, I'm excited about today. And thank you for that opportunity. I look forward to coming back yeah. any time in the future. Well, that definitely sounds like a teaser for a future episode. So we, I may follow up with you on that. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I look forward to it. That was Dean Guy Lonergan talking about the need for the second veterinary school, what sets Texas Tech University School of Veterinary Medicine apart, and how it will benefit the veterinary medicine profession in Texas. To learn more about the school, click on the link in our show notes. It will take you to the school's website. And if you're a member of TVMA, you can read about Dean Guy Lonergan and the school in the December issue of our magazine. It will come out shortly. If you're enjoying this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. And if you have a minute to spare, we would love to read yours too. Reviews and ratings expand our reach and search results and help grow our listenership of veterinary professionals. They let Apple know that listeners like you are enjoying the podcast. We can't thank you enough. And thank you again for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA.